Well, we have been uh, studying this idea of the one another's that are in the New Testament, the admonitions of how we're to treat one another. We are in the third part today, the third part on uh, uh, what I titled the methods of love. We saw the first Sunday, the uh, love, the idea that love is foundational. It's the beginning. Uh, that's the number one principle, and all the others are really kind of tied to it. They're they're conditional upon that. I mean, if there isn't love, you're not going to do the others for sure. And so that, and then we talked about the methods of love. And, and we, I, I actually found, I think, 27 of them in the New Testament. And uh, I com- took a few of those that were very similar uh, in like nature and basically put them under one heading and narrowed it down to 24. And so I did part one, part two, and part three. And so we have eight to look at today, although I took a few of these that are similar as well and combined them, put them underneath the same. So we actually only have five points today. We got a baptism. We got to get done a little earlier, right? So uh, we, won't, we won't be too long, but there is, you might want to just keep some notes and, and I guess travel along as you can. I do tend to, to move too quick uh, sometimes, especially when we're going to a bunch of uh, new uh, passages and moving from one passage to the next, I, I tend to move too fast, so I apologize for that. But we do want to see these references, these places in the Word of God where we're commended or exhorted to respond to one another in certain ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, first of all, this morning we want to see that uh, the Bible tells us that we are to be of the same mind one toward another. And that's in Romans chapter number 15, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse number 16. He says, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceit. The idea of not being filled with yourself, not being so consumed with your own ideas, your own opinions, that that nothing else matters, being of the same mind. Now, I want you to understand this is not saying that you can't have an opinion. I mean, some of you like chicken, and some of you would rather steak. That's okay. You're welcome to prefer that. Some of you like vegetables, and some of you don't care for vegetables at all. Those, Those differences and things are all right. It's not saying that you can't have your own mind about things, but the idea of being of the same mind is being considerate, being thoughtful, being able to, uh, maybe we could use the word, have some empathy to think about what other people are going through. Romans 15, 5 is very similar. He says, now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. So to be like-minded, to have a, a, a similar mindset. And I think that this could be Uh, laid out into two different aspects. First of all, I would liken it to the idea of understanding where your brother and sister are coming from. This morning, as uh, Miss Betty came up to me and shared with me her burden for Stella and and going into the hospital and and the fact that here's a nine-year-old girl that is being eaten up with cancer. And and, I mean, how can your heart not understand and and just break for this this child? I mean, it's one thing when when a when an adult or, or somebody that's, you know, lived 60, 70 uh, plus years and, and they, they get cancer, you're like, well, they, they've lived a long life and it's still hard and we're disappointed and we don't like it. But, oh, how much heart, how more heart wrenching is it when it's a child? And the idea of, of the Bible tells us very clearly, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. 
And so that's how I kind of think about the idea of being of the same mind, of being a like mind, understanding that Betty has this burden, Betty has a concern for Stella, and, and, and being of the same mind, being like-minded, is saying, hey, I want to help carry that burden for her. I want to be with her. I understand. I've got some, some compassion, and, and I, I, I weep with her, and I'm going to go to God in prayer for, for Stella that God would do a miraculous thing. And it's not just that situation, but other situations. Somebody gets blessed, and they, they are able to get a new house or to get a new car, or God blesses them with something even greater, a new child in the home. And, oh, being able to rejoice with them. Man, praise God. Look at what God has done for you. We rejoice with you. This is exciting This is thrilling. But the second aspect of being of the same mind is the idea of unity. This is vitally important for churches to have unity. You guys remember the old Peanuts cartoon? The old Peanuts cartoon with Linus and Lucy? Well, one day Lucy came in and she demanded of Linus that he change the channel on the TV. And she said, if you don't, Linus looks at her and says, what makes you think you have a right to come in here and just take over? And she says, these five fingers. (laughs) She says, by themselves, they're not much to behold. But when you put them together, they are a power to be reckoned with. Linus said, which channel do you want? (laughs) He changed the channel, and then he looked down at his hand, and he says, why can't you get together like that? (laughs) You see, the church is to be a mighty force for good in this world. And if we could get together, we would be a mighty force to be reckoned with. The problem is, is there are so many churches that can't get together. They can't get unified. They can't get on the same page. They've got too many differences of opinion about what should be or shouldn't be. And a lot of times it's over stuff that really doesn't matter. I mean, it's complete and utter foolishness. The color of the carpet or the color of a wall or or what decorations go up front. You know, this, although it's attractive and nice to look at, is not what changes the hearts of men. This is not what does a work in the soul of somebody that teaches them and and expounds and guides them into the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We try and make things look good, and I'll tell you what, the ladies that do it do a phenomenal job. But why in the world would a church get bent out of shape and fighting over something so stupid as some decorations? Let's get serious about the things that matter, the word of God and the message of the gospel to the world, amen? That that force to be reckoned with for good in this world. We're to be like-minded one to another. Then, secondly, I want you to see that we're to receive one another. In in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 7. Romans 15 and verse number 7, he says, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I would liken this to the idea of hospitality. I actually put another one here together with this under the title of receive ye one another, because in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Use hospitality. So there's two things very similar, the idea of receiving one another. 
This is something that we really could all grow in. The idea of hospitality. You know, in our culture today, hospitality, I'm, tr- I'm talking about true hospitality, is really being uh, done away with. It, it's just not happening. We, we, we traditionally, uh, you know, hospitality was something that people showed to anybody. Nowadays, we feel like we're hospitable if our brother comes over and we let him in. Well, I'm I'm hospitable. I let my brother come in and stand in the living room. You know, uh, I'm I'm hospitable. Uh, One of my friends came over and and I actually let him come in the house and he came all the way into the kitchen. You know, I'm a we we feel like that's that's our standard and level of hospitality today. But you understand in Abraham's day, in the Bible times, that hospitality was something that you did to anybody that came into your realm of influence. You are hospitable to all people. Do you know the original word hospitality comes from two words? One is stranger and the other is friend. When you put the two words together, it quite literally means making a friend out of a stranger. But you see, today we look at strangers as like, oh, you know, I don't have to be hospitable to them. I don't have to show any uh, extra effort to be friendly to them. But as Christians, we're called to hospitality. You know, we talk about Hunt Valley hospitality at our church here. Hunt Valley hospitality. We want people to feel welcome. We want people to be, feel, feel like they're, they're cared about, like somebody knows their name, even though I forgot it, John. Sorry. <laughs> we want people to think about the fact that they're, they're recognized and, and, and somebody here was thinking about them and, and that they're welcome here. But are we really greeting one another? There's another one of the one another's that we could find in First Peter five verse fourteen. He says, "Greet ye one another with a kiss." It's actually found in a number of places in the New Testament. First Corinthians sixteen twenty, and the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. Now, I don't think we need to be kissing each other. <laughs> Before COVID, maybe, but now, no, no. No, no, we don't need to be kissing one another. We, you know, uh, you guys know I'm not even a hugger. I mean, I just, I like my personal space, amen? <laughs> but the idea is to greet one another, to be hospitable, to recognize and acknowledge each other, to think about who is here and who needs a friend. Who needs somebody to show some care or concern for them? Are you showing hospitality? There's different people in our church in all different walks of life. Find somebody that's in a similar walk of life that you're in and minister to them. Find a way to be a friend to them. I don't want to put people on the spot, but I look around the room right now and I see different people sitting by themselves. And I wonder, is there not anybody else in the church that could be a friend to them? Is there not anybody else that looked and thought, oh, you know what? You know, Rob and Lindsay aren't here today. But how many times, Caleb, have I gone to you and said, Jack's over there? Have you talked to Jack this morning? Have you gone to him? Have you sit with him? Did you talk to him about the activity today? Did you encourage? Did you go? But you see, I shouldn't have to do that. If we really have the mindset of hospitality, young people, you would be looking for another young person. 
I mean, isn't it exciting when the youth group grows and there's more kids around and you have more people to have activities with and do fun and things and all that? You know, it just doesn't happen magically. They don't just show up out of thin air. It takes work. And I can tell you right now, no young person is going to come and be added to the youth group if this youth group is so cliquish that the new person feels like they're outside of the group. You have to make them feel like they're part of the group. Even though it's their first time through the door, you have to make them feel like they're part of the group. Like, oh, come on, you're welcome. And maybe they don't want to. Maybe they're a little shy or bashful. But that's what hospitality does. Make them feel like they're part of the family. Now, I'm talking to the kids, but I could talk to all the adults, too. All the adults, too. A new person comes through the door at Hunt Valley. They ought to feel like they're part of the family the first time they come through the door. Like they're part of the family. Have you ever been over somebody's house and they're just like, make yourself at home. Like, come on in. Relax. Be comfortable, you know. Yep. Just, you want something to drink? Glasses are right up there. You know, make yourself, this is, this, mi casa, su casa. Amen. (laughs) Just feel at home. And that's nice. (laughs) That's nice. You're like, man, I feel so comfortable there. I feel like part of the family. That's how we ought to be in God's house. Make people feel like they're part of the family. Be hospitable. So there's three of them we put together there. The receive one another, hospitality to one another, and greet one another. And then I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21, that we're submitting yourselves one to another. This Ephesians 5, 21, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, uh, anybody that knows their Bible knows that this passage of Scripture is dealing with husbands and wives. So in context, this is talking about the relationship in the family, the relationship in the home, that there ought to be a level of mutual submission one to another. I know that, uh, you know, we like to talk about how the wife is supposed to submit, right? The wife is supposed to, you know, the husband's supposed to lead and the wife's supposed to submit, but... In this passage, in this context, there is a submitting one to another. And I don't have time this morning to develop and to teach all of the aspects of this idea of mutual submission in relation to the husband and wife. That's not the direction we're going this morning. If you're interested in that and would like some more information on it, I have a whole book. You can read the book that deals with just that topic alone. And uh, if you'd like a copy, we can get you a copy of the book. You talk to me later. But what we're talking about here is the family of God. You know, we sing the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Join heirs with Jesus, cleansed by his blood. Amen. Part of the family of God. Well, then in the family of God, there's to be a level of mutual submission one to another. That's what we're supposed to have. Mutual submission. This goes along with the same lines of a one another that's found in 1 Peter. First Peter 5, 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another. So the idea of being subject one to another. In this passage, Peter is dealing with and giving some instruction to the shepherd. If, you, if you're familiar with the passage of Scripture, he's talking to the shepherd, and he tells the shepherd, he says, Hey, you need to, you need to feed the flock. Feed the flock of God. This is your responsibility as the pastor, as the leaders. The feed the flock of God. You're, you're supposed to lead the flock. You're supposed to be giving direction and leading, leading the church. That's your job. And, and uh, everybody likes it that it's in there. This is not supposed to be for riches. Amen. 
It's supposed to be for righteousness sake. That he's supposed to lead the flock of God. He's supposed to be teaching the word of God. And not for filthy lucre's sake, the Bible says. But for righteousness sake. Do it. Lead them for, for the honor and glory of God. And he tells them there, don't lower it over the flock. But lead them. Lead them in love. As a shepherd would. But then he gives some instruction to the church. And he says, you know what? In the church, there ought to be some humility. He tells us that God's going to resist the proud. Do you remember those verses? He's going to resist the proud. But if you're humble, he says, that he will exalt you in due time. He says, okay, so in the church, if there's going to be this idea of mutual submission, it takes humility. That's what it takes. You know, let's talk just for a minute or two practically about the idea of mutual submission. What does that, what does that mean in, in the realm of a church? If I just said, oh, we're supposed to be mutually submitted, and everybody says amen. But what does that actually mean? Well, if we think about the idea of humility, then it, in a practical way, what that means is that sometimes you might have to stand and listen to somebody tell you the same story that they told you four times. <laughs> you, you might, in your heart and mind, say, you know, I could probably tell this story right now, but I understand. They, you know, it's mutual submission. It's humbling yourself and saying, you know what, I care about this person. I'm going to listen to the story again. I'll be glad to do that. I'm going to listen to that, to that story. Just submitting yourself, saying, oh, I'm not too important to listen to this young person tell me about his day. I'm not too important to listen to somebody share a burden that they have. The act of giving and receiving, do you know that that takes mutual submission? You know, some people are too selfish to give. Some people are too proud to receive. So the act of giving, the act of sharing, takes mutual submission. God touches Jacob's heart. says, man, I want to be a blessing to another young family. I know John and Stephanie. And, you know, they're kind of the same stage of life we're at. And I know the struggles they're having. I'm sure they could use a couple boxes of diapers. So he submits himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit and says, you know what, I'm going to buy them some diapers. And he buys them a couple of boxes of diapers. They go over to John and Stephanie's house and they say, hey, we want to be a blessing to you. What, do you think we're so poor we can't buy our own diapers? <laughs> Stephanie's like, that would never happen. Diapers, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying is John and Stephanie have to submit themselves and say, wow, thank you for thinking about me. Take it in the love that it was extended and not as a, as a slight or as a knock, as anything, you know, just take it in the way it was submitted. It takes mutual submission when you give and share. Only in humility, beloved, do we find a mutual submission. And then fourthly, we see we're to serve one another. In Galatians 5, in verse number 13, he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. 
Now, we referenced this passage in Sunday school as we're talking about the idea of walking in the Spirit. I'm not sure what you guys dealt with in your classes, but we dealt with this idea of walking in the Spirit. And I didn't touch on this because I knew that we would be getting here. But if we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to have a spirit or the mindset of serving one another. This is the same aspect of ministering. So I've combined another one here in 1 Peter 4.10. It says, Every man that hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Now, you know, the idea of ministering literally is to serve. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And if we're going to be like Christ, Christ had the mindset of ministering to others, of doing for others, of literally serving others. Christ, God in the flesh, wanted to serve others. And in our mindset today, we want to be served. But if we're going to be like Christ, we're going to serve one another. You know the age-old principle that you have to serve others to be happy. You see, people that serve themselves aren't happy. The one who's living for himself never knows satisfaction. Quite literally, they are the most miserable people on earth. When they're living for themselves and nothing else, when they can't see the needs of others or do for anybody else but themselves, nothing is ever good enough for them. Nobody can ever make them happy. Nobody can ever ultimately satisfy them because they're living for themselves. You see, they have a sin problem. S-I-N with a capital I. It's all about me. And that's a sin problem. That they've got to fix because it's not all about me. It's not all about you. You know, that's a miserable way to live. It's a miserable way to live when you live for yourself. You see, what happens is when you're living for yourself, you establish in your heart and mind expectations of what people around you are supposed to do or should do for you. And when they don't meet your expectations, then you're hurt. You're disappointed. You're offended. Because they didn't meet your expectations. But you see, if you weren't living for them to serve you, but you were living to serve them, you wouldn't be hurt. You wouldn't be disappointed. You wouldn't be in that state. If I said to you today that we came to God, came to church today to worship God, how many would say amen? amen. We came to church today to worship God. But one commentator wrote, there is only one spectator in worship, and that's God. The rest of us are participants. But sometimes, even in the realm of the church, we look at the idea of, what did you do for me today? But as Christians, we are to have the mindset of, how can I serve you today? And that brings glory to God. And that's worship. I'd like you to see, fifthly, that we're members one of another. In Romans chapter 12, in verse number 5, he says, We see being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Wherefore, putting away, I'm sorry, I'm reading now Ephesians 4.25. This is another place that states the same thing. He says, wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of a number. 
one of another, members one of another. And there's the illustration given there in Ephesians about the body, the human body, and that we're members one of another. And we've talked about this before, and I don't think I'm going down any, any leaving anybody in the dark, but the idea of your body is all one member. It's, you have two hands, but they're all part of the body. You've got two feet, and you've got legs, and, and you, you've got a head, and all, but it's all part of the one body. And every part of the, of the body is important. You ladies ever get a hangnail? It's the smallest little tiny part of your body. What are you worried about? Boy, it hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> it hurts. It's uncomfortable. It, 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 you know, you get lemon juice in there, and it really hurts. You, 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 just the smallest thing. Any of you guys ever smash a thumb? Yeah. Drop something on your toe? I mean, it's just a small part of the body, but it's part of the body. And as a church, we are to have that mindset that we're all members one of another. That every part of the body is important. We're to be working together to further and accomplish the cause of Christ. The Bible uses three phrases to describe this idea of being one of another. <clears throat> There's many passages, and we don't, we're not going to take time to turn to them all. But I want you to just hear these three phrases uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse number 14, all through the book of Acts, but you'll see this phrase. It says, they all continued with one accord, with one accord. So that idea of being of one accord, to be passionately pursuing the same goals, being of one accord, that's what we see in the New Testament church, that they were of one accord, they had one goal, one ambition, they were pursuing the same thing and wanting to see that accomplished. Do you know three people with a common goal can accomplish more than 10 people with different goals? Being of one accord as a church on the same mission. And then we see in the word of God that it says that they were of one heart. In Acts 2, 44 and in Acts 4, 32, we see that they were of one heart. This is a zealous pursuit of great and good works. United in heart and hand for a common goal and then we see in Romans and in Corinthians and in Philippians and in 1 Peter that you're to be of one mind in Philippians 1.27 he says only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. I've brought this down to this place on purpose because that whole idea, we're basically back where we started, the idea of unity, the idea of being together, of being on one mind. And why do we do this? He tells us in that verse, he says, you're with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's why. We, we, we get together of one heart. We get together of one mind. We get together of one accord, all in agreement, all members one of another of the, of the same body that the gospel might go forward into this world. The unity of the church is what attracts a dying world to the message of the gospel.
And our goal as a church is to reach the world with the truth that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again as the once and for all sacrifice for the sins of men. That you today can be forgiven of your sin, not because of Hunt Valley Baptist Church, not because of Pastor Caleb or anybody else in this auditorium, but because of what Jesus Christ did when he came and gave himself. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his son and the son gave himself so you could know forgiveness of sin. So you could trust Jesus Christ and know his forgiveness. That's the message. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that is the ultimate goal of the church. As we fulfill and accomplish this list of 27 things that we are to be for one another. It's not so that we could feel good about ourselves. It's so that we could go forth as a mighty force to be reckoned with in unity, impacting the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants the world to be saved. He said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to know this morning, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his shed blood, that Jesus died for you. He wants you to know. We've sang these songs today about peace. And peace comes when we have peace with God. The peace of God, the peace that comes from God, comes when you have peace with God. See, I can can tell this morning that the, the... We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I can tell the discomfort, the struggle, the battle in the spirit between making that decision to trust Christ and rejecting him. The message this morning for the church is are you doing your part as part of the body, members one of another, serving and fulfilling one another, all that we could carry the gospel forth into a lost and dying world. But the message for the one here, two or three, whoever it is that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the message for you is accept him before it's too late. Don't let pride keep you from trusting Jesus Christ. Don't let embarrassment or shame, and it's false embarrassment, it's false shame, because everybody here is just a sinner saved by grace. There is nobody here that's full of themselves and thinks anything. Everybody here just says, man, I'm just a sinner, and my greatest desire and ambition is that you would know the love of Christ. I'd like to extend the invitation to you. I had the privilege and thrill yesterday. I was at Rob and Mary Ellen's house. Sitting down in their living room. Trying to minister to them a little bit, bring, bring some comfort as Nancy recently went home to be with the Lord, Mary Ellen's sister. And we've been praying for Jim. Yesterday, the Lord opened the opportunity, was able to go through the plan of salvation, the message of the gospel with Jim. 
And Jim bowed his head and put his faith and trust in Christ yesterday. He's excited today. He's in church today. He wanted me to tell the church the decision that he made. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, I want you to know the church would be excited for you to do that. And if you say, I'm not sure exactly what to do or how to do it or I don't know all the answers, listen, we'll, we'll take a minute and just talk you through it, give you explanations, show you in the scriptures. We'll take whatever time is needed if you would like somebody to talk to you about that this morning.